ministry in Boston. And in October, we just keep appointed evangelist and women's ministry leader, which was just like, we just are grateful just to be disciples in God's kingdom. And so that was just, uh, we're grateful to be here and, and reconnect with old friends and get to know new friends. Um, please turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. And I just want to say I'm so grateful for the leadership team for inviting us. Last night, uh, we got to hang out with the little people. And they brought us some pizza from Leonardo's. That was really good. I was like, we need to bring this pizza back to Boston. <laughs> um, and we're grateful for Rob and Chandra for hosting us. They've been such great hosts to us. And it's amazing to see that, you know, here we are and the shops are going away and we're going to celebrate them. Because I remember Steve doing one of my next in the New England School of Missions. I was part of the New England School of Missions. And he was one of my teachers for a semester there. And I learned so much from him. And um, he was actually a missionary in Japan. And one of our dear friends, Mari Sarmura, her, she always shares about you that you converted her dad. And um, wow. going from BU to Japan and wow. helping this, this atheist to become a Christian. And now because of that effort, right, his... His daughter, Marisol Murrah, is a co-worker of ours. She lives in our street, and we're wow. great friends with her. And, and even I think of Steve Sushab, I think of, like, just, I, I remember one staff meeting you were sharing about um, Mark chapter 2, about how you need map carriers in your life. Now, whenever I send the Bible with anyone, I tell them, Mark, I, when we look at Mark chapter 2, I tell them, you need map carriers in your life. I, they're heroes, and I'm just grateful to be here and even celebrate you guys. But at this time, I'm going to have my wife come up just to share her story about how she became a Christian so you guys can get to know her a little bit. Hi, guys. Thank you for having us. It's an honor for sure. I actually grew up in our family of churches in downtown Boston. Um, Both my parents are disciples. I have four older siblings. Um, So I had the privilege of just being exposed to God's word from such a young age, mm-hmm. but I didn't become a disciple until my freshman year of college, so mm-hmm. I was what you call a little rebellious uh, kingdom kid, <laughs> but I appreciate my story and my journey, because just like Joseph this year, I didn't know he was going to say that about Sue, but in <clears throat> I had so many different mat carriers that helped me to get to the place that I am now, mm-hmm. and I'm so grateful for that. Because there were so many women in my life who were patient with me. And when I was at different low moments in high school, and I said, I feel like I'm wasting your time. And I don't know if you should still meet up with me and study the Bible. They said, you're a never a waste of time. Like, I'm always here for you. And just having that door just stay open for me got me to the point where in college, I'm like, this life is meaningless. I've experienced so much of this in high school. I do not want any more of this empty life um, without Jesus. And I started studying the Bible. And to be where we are now, um, leading in the campus ministry where I was converted, is just it just blows my mind. Because the, the fact that I'm even a minister blows my mind. Because I'm like, God, you really did a number on me. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't have been here without you. Um, but it's a complete privilege and I'm just so grateful that we can travel wherever you know around the United States and internationally and be able to be with uh, the body of Christ and to see you guys all here and what you're fighting for just the fact that we're fighting alongside you in Boston is just just amazing so I'm just grateful I get to lead so many women in downtown Boston and in the campus ministry so we bring greetings 
Um, but that's a little bit about me and where I come from. So, yeah. Great story kind of connects with my story of her parents are converted by Sam Lang back in the day. And she as she was studying the Bible her freshman year, we became quick friends. We're in the same class and I grew up going to church. I'm originally from Liberia, West Africa, that's where her Family's from, oh, so we got a really good friend. And as we're getting really close to become friends and getting to know her, she kept inviting me to church. I was like, I don't want to come to your church. Why are you inviting me? I thought I was a Christian, like every you know African kind of thing, they're already a Christian. So I, I thought I was a Christian. And I spent my first year as a freshman kind of living a pretty wild life because I, I thought I was caught up with my family and not really got to experience high school and so when I went up to college my, my freshman year was spent I had a whole list of sin that I wanted to dive into and so I was doing that was in the middle of that and she invited and she kept inviting me and she was insistent and then six months later I came out of the church and I just fell in love with the disciples, the diversity, the convictions of the disciples, the love, the encouragement. I I, I said the Bible with the campus minister and I was kind of going, wow, I need to change, and I need to become a Christian. And I got baptized 10 years ago in 2013. Nice. And I just feel wow. really grateful that God really shed. <laughs> God was so patient with me, and he shed his grace on my life, and, and gratitude is so important to me. And, and my faith, I think our faith has been inspired by the gratitude we have for God. And, and that's the title of the lesson today, Faith Inspired by Gratitude. Um, let me ask you guys this week. I want you to think about your week a little bit. What are you grateful for about this past week? What is one thing in your life that happened or one thing you experienced that you feel like you're grateful for this past week? Yes? I didn't get COVID. You didn't get COVID? <laughs> That's awesome. That's important. Right before it starts snowing really heavily. Yeah, go for it. I would... Came back from Seattle safely. So yes. Come on now. See? Now, Sue and I were married uh, 33 years ago in December, and so we're actually celebrating on, on this trip. Wow. But uh, that's the thing. Where, where was the wedding at? Was it in Boston? Or? It was in Los Angeles. Los Angeles. Yeah. Wow. Come on. Anyone else? Maybe one last person? Yeah, of course. Something small. Yesterday, we were at uh, a friend's wedding, and Jeremy and I were having a conversation, and Brought up momos, dumpling, <laughs> yeah. and when I was craving it, and we got to the reception, I had no idea what the food was, and then bam! There Look at that, man! That's awesome. That's awesome. You're going right there, Calvin. Oh, thank you. You know, gratitude is so important. You know, in Luke chapter 15, verse 1, uh, it says, now, and Zach talked about this earlier, but it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You know, here in Luke chapter 15, Jesus was hanging around with sinners and tax collectors. The tax collectors were, as we know, they were Jewish oppressed, Jewish workers who were working for the Roman oppressors. They were considered to be the lowest of the low on the moral ladder of the culture. Mm-hmm. Yet Jesus is gathering with them. He's eating with sinners and tax collectors. He's eating with the riffraffs of the day. Mm-hmm. And the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they couldn't fathom. Why was someone claiming to be the Son of God mm-hmm. hang around with sinners and tax collectors? 
And for me, I'm grateful. Aren't you grateful that Jesus hung around with sinful people? Because if Jesus only hung around with perfect people, none of us would be able to hang around with Jesus. Right? The prophet Isaiah says that our best works are like filthy rags. Right? And to help these religious leaders of his day understand something about God's heart and God's compassion towards people, Jesus tells them three parables in this chapter. Uh, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of the lost son. And then this morning, I want to just to zoom in on that fair parable, the parable of the lost uh, son. Luke chapter 15, right. verse 11. You guys with me? Yeah. yeah. Come on. It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them, separated them. You know, this parable is a simple parable, and so many of us have read this parable for a long time, and we know this parable. It's about a father with two sons, two sons who were ungrateful. Um, the younger son goes to his father, and he goes, Father, give me my share of the estate. He's basically saying to his father, I want nothing to do with you, right? I, I don't want anything to do with this family. I don't want to be under your authority anymore. You're dead to me. When you think about it, this is an awful request for a son to wow. make to a father. In first century Judaism culture, it would have been understandable for this father to bring the son into the public square and have the entire town stone this son to death. Wow. But the father didn't do that, right? The father gives his son the autonomy he craves. You know, many times when you get on an airplane, what do you do? They, they gave you the safety instructions that you kind of have listened to. Especially when you come from Seattle, you're like, get in a box. You're not really listening to the safety instructions, but you take your your luggage and you put it in the bin, uh, and you sit down, you watch a movie, and you have the pilot takes you to your destination. What you don't do is you never go to the pilot and go, actually, I feel like I'm going to beat the pilot of the plane today. I'm going to fly the plane. You never do that, because that would be silly, right? Like, and sometimes we do that in our lives. We want the autonomy, and we want to be the palace of our own lives. And that's exactly what this son is doing. In verse 13, it says, Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set up for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. You know, the word squander there is to mean wasteful. It's to mean reckless. That's where we get the word prodigal from. To be prodigal is to be wasteful, to be reckless. And this son, he didn't take his father's money and invest it into something great. He took his father's wealth and he wasted it on sin. You know, sin will make you stupid, right? I tell my college students that all the time. Sin will make you, whenever you reject a relationship with God, you will live a wasteful life. And that's what we see in the story. In verse 14, it says, after he has spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the paws that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. You know, a year, he, he's left his father's house, and he's in this distant country, and now he doesn't have any money. How do you think this son might be feeling at this moment in his life? What are some feelings that might come up? Like a failure? Like a failure? Yeah. Anyone else? Regret. Regret. Oh, yeah. I had it pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. You, you never know how good you have it until you leave your father's house. I remember when we 
first got married and I, I left my father's house for the first time and think, oh wait, like I have to pay rent. <laughs> I have to pay for the keys now. Yeah. Wow, that's tough. <laughs> um, you know, this time, right, he, he's, he's, he was living a lot of sin and then the severe family hits. Something that was outside of his control. Right? Sometimes we think we can be the power of our own lives and then we hit turbulence and we can't control the wind and we can't control the storm. And and we started to go down. You know, he wasted all his father's money. And now he's feeding pigs. No Jewish boy in his right mind will ever even come close to a pig. Pigs were a dietary restriction in Israel. And, and as Jesus is sharing this parable, the idea that a Jewish boy would feed pigs would have shocked the audience. And even more shocking than that, he wanted to eat the pig's food. You know, sin will always take you forward further than you want to go. You know, I think of this son. He starts off with being in his father's house, and then he went to a Gentile country, lost everything, and now he's a slave, basically a slave, and then he's desiring to eat pig's food. And that's what, when, when it comes to sin, it's always one thing. It's just a small, and then you, you, before you know it, you start a year, and then you, if I'm already here, I might as well just try this other thing. And that's something I'm always teaching my college students, like, that sin will always take you further than you want to go. Sin is like skating on a pond, thin ice. It's fun for a moment, but then you start to go down. And I bet that day when he was leaving his father's house, he never planned, you know what, one day I I dreamed to be in a pig pen. You know, he never dreamed of that. And in verse 17, it says, when he came to his senses, there's a good part right here, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. You know, he has a moment of clarity here. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes your greatest moment of clarity will come in the middle of your greatest crisis. Yeah. And he's in the pig pen, and he realized, my father is a compassionate father. He rationalized himself. If my father has food to feed the servants, my father probably has food for me. And he makes his way to his father's house. And I think of my son, Julius, three years old, over there in the back. Um, Suddenly when I come home after a long day, and Katrina's been home with him. So I try to take him outside a little bit and take him to see the trees. There's not lots of trees in Brighton, but I try to find the best one I can find. The driving here was just incredible, just seeing the trees in the mountains. It was so beautiful. I was like, this is, this is, this is awesome. But... I try to take him outside because that's what my father did for me. When I, those are my early memories with my dad taking me to see the, the outdoors and stuff like that. So I try to take him outside. And when I do that, he's playing around. I'm showing him all the different trees. And then sometimes he plays with the dirt. And I, I like that. And then at certain times, he tries to eat the dirt. I go, no, no, no. No, don't put that in your mouth. Don't eat that. We can go, when we go back home, there's like the applesauce that you really love. It's in the fridge. The fridge is full of stuff. You don't have to eat dirt. <laughs> you know, sometimes we eat stuff that fills us up. And you eat dirt, it will fill you up. But it will nourish you. And we eat stuff that fills us up, but it doesn't nourish us. And I think one of the reasons I came today is to preach about it. Is that your father, God, he has something better on the dinner table for you. Yeah. You don't have to eat in a pig pen like this son. Yeah. You know, the world will never satisfy you. Right. And your wealth uh, will never satisfy you. Only a relationship with God will satisfy your soul. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what you did in the past. 
It doesn't matter what you did in the pig pen. If you come back to God, um, he is a very compassionate father. And yes, a lot of grace on us. Uh, go over to verse 18. Luke chapter 15, verse 18. He says here, I was set up and go back to my father and said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your higher servants. So he got up and went to his father. You know, he comes to his senses. And he comes up with this amazing plan. He has the entire speech ready in his mind. He goes, I know my father won't just accept me to be his son. I'm not worthy to be his son. So my best bet is to back to my father's mercy to be a servant. And then after many, many years of working for my father and repaying my father back, then maybe my father might have compassion on me. He's Think about this idea of restitution. In, in a religious first century Judaism culture, it was about restitution. Eye for an eye. You had to pay back yeah. what you owe before you can get reconciliation. Yeah. And although he sinned against his father, although his list of sin is as long as the CBS receipt, yeah. um, <laughs> he, he was willing to beg for his father's mercy, yeah. his father's right. grace. Mm-hmm. He was contrite. Yeah. He was penitent. Mm-hmm. And there's this idea, um, it's in Boston, it's prevalent in Boston, I imagine it might be prevalent here, that this is the idea that in our culture that you can come to God however way you want, mm-hmm. and you don't really need to be contrite, and because God is so loving, he will accept you for who you are. And, and I understand that, but God is loving, but we do need to approach God's throne with, with contrition, mm-hmm. right? And, and not have a cavalier approach to God. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you, we see that with the story of Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus was, was contrite before Jesus. You see that with the 3,000 people who were baptized in Acts chapter 2. They were cut to the heart. Um, God is looking for people who, are, who tremble at his word, mm-hmm. who have contrition. Yeah. And the son comes up with a plan, he has a speech ready, and he makes that long journey home. Uh, and think about the soundtrack of shame that was playing in his mind. That whole journey, right? Mm-hmm. You're worthless. You're a disgrace. You're sinful. Your father's going to reject you anyway. Why are you making this long journey home? Mm-hmm. And, but he, he doesn't have that many choices, right? He's hungry. He's poor. He's lonely. And so he makes that journey home. In verse 20, it says, But while he was still alone with all, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to, to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. You know, the father saw the son while the son was still alone with all. And the father ran to him. In, in first century Judaism culture, it was undignified for older men to run. And even right now in the Middle East, like, older men just don't run. <laughs> they kind of just glide. So they can fight for, for, for older men to run. And, but the father doesn't care. He doesn't, he's not caring about what other people yeah. think of him. And he runs to his son. And he is filled with compassion. He ran and he loved his son. And he kissed his son. The father expressed compassion even before the son expressed repentance. And, and the father has grace in his heart for his son. In verse 22, it says, But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. 
bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. You know, before the son could finish his well-rehearsed speech, the father interrupted the speech and he goes, no, no, it is time to celebrate. You know, the son was begging to be a servant. The father restored the son to sonship. The son was offering restitution and the father was offering restoration. The father gives the order to kill the fattened calf to celebrate. The fattened calf could feed well over 200 people. This was not warm over leftovers. This was not like a small dinner for a few friends. This was a massive, massive celebration for the entire community. And that word celebrate in the Greek, it means to be delighted. It means to be jubilant, to be ecstatic. The father was filled with joy that his lost son returned home. You know, and, and I know that this story is called the story of the prodigal son, but really it is the story of the prodigal father, mm-hmm. the, the wasteful father who wasted his love and lavished his love and his grace and his mercy wow. on this son. Um, and and the, the father has a reckless love for his son. And Jesus is telling this story so that the Pharisees can understand why Jesus is hanging out with these prostitutes and tax collectors. I think of Psalm 103, verse 10. You don't have to turn there. It says, talking about God, it says, He does not treat us as our sins deserve. And then the son comes to his senses and he returns home, and the father embraced the son. You know, as the son is coming to the father, the father could have done this, right? But the father didn't do that. The father did this. This could have hurt the son or made the son more anxious. But this gave the son all of the answer he needed. And the father embraced the son. You know, I, I think my son sometimes in the middle of the night, he kind of makes these weird noises. I'm like, he's definitely having a bad dream. And so I go to, I go to his room, he's all frazzled, and I just give him a hug, and he just melts. I'm like, I love this. <laughs> I wonder how long it's going to last. <laughs> but, you know, the father... Like the, the son left his father's house with dreams for the life he was going to have. But when his dream turned to a nightmare, the father embraced the son. And God is like that father. He is a good father. Yeah. Um, he will embrace you when your dream turns into a nightmare. I think of how that he is like Noah's ark. He will protect you from the storm. He is like Moses' staff. He, he will make a way for you when there is no way. He is a pillar of fire. He will help you to see when you're in the dark. He is manna from heaven. That's who God is. He will feed you when you're hungry. He is a slingshot. You have Goliaths in your life, and he will take down your Goliath. He is like Jonathan. He'll always be your best friend. That's who God is. He's like Mordecai. He, he will always give you wise counsel, the counsel that you need. He is like Barnabas. He'll always be there to encourage you. That's the God we serve. That's the God we worship. He is a good father. He will leave the 99 to come after you. Just, yeah. just you. And, and his love for us surpasses human understanding. Yeah. And God doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an end. And so it kind of makes sense then that his love for us doesn't have a beginning. It doesn't have an end. He, he loves us with this reckless, prodigal love. Um, that's the God we worship. In verse 25, it says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. This was 
this party was lit. You know, it was, it was, it was, it wasn't just a little dinner. It was a huge party. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home. You replied, and your father has killed a fine calf because he hasn't backed Satan soundly. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I can celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fine calf for him. You know, the party is amazing, the wine is tasty, the steak is juicy, and everyone is celebrating, but one person is not celebrating, the older brother. Instead of celebrating and having gratitude, um, he's complaining. Isn't it crazy that God could be doing something amazing right in front of your face, but you could miss it? Because instead of having gratitude, you're complaining. And I've been there many times. And, And on the surface... It, this this parable, the end of this parable represents the, the Pharisees. Because on the surface, yeah. the, the Pharisees were religious, mm-hmm. but they didn't want to welcome people into the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Right? And the father greeted the younger brother with open arms. The older brother greeted the, 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 the younger brother with folded arms. Mm-hmm. And you look at his, his younger brother, he's going, ah, he's messed up in the past. Why are we letting him back in the family? Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes we focus, as we read the story, and sometimes we focus so much on the sin of the younger brother that we, I think we miss the sin of the older brother. Yeah. And I get it, because the younger brother's sin was more obvious. Mm-hmm. But the older brother still was kind of sinful, and self-righteousness is a thing, right? And, and he didn't even call his, his younger brother by name. He says, that son of yours. Mm-hmm. He kind of disconnected himself and detaches himself from his brother. Wow. Um, and... and in this story, when you look at it, it's actually a story about two sons who were lost. And one son was lost wow. in the streets, right. and the other son was lost in the house. And it's possible, which is crazy, because we're all religious people, we all go to church every Sunday. It's possible to be in church, but be lost in the Father's house. Yeah. Yeah. It's possible to be in church, but not be in Christ. And it's possible to be in church, but not have gratitude. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, now, I guess the challenge for, for you guys, and the question I want to ask all of us is, how is your gratitude today? Mm-hmm. Right? Do you have gratitude for all that God has done for you? Good question. Um, mm-hmm. And because this older brother, the younger brother didn't have gratitude initially, but at the end, you can tell. <laughs> He's probably having a lot of gratitude. But then the older brother, he, he didn't have gratitude either. Um, and, and let's end here with, with verse 31. It says, My son, the father said, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, he says, This is not just the son of yours, this, he's your brother. This brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You know, the longer I've been at this Bible, the more I've come to realize that my, my faith has to be inspired by gratitude. And, and, and the youngest son didn't have gratitude initially, but when he returned home, I bet he was like, I'm, I'm never going back. I'm never leaving my father's house. Yeah. There's nothing out there for me. Yeah. And that's how I felt. I, you know, I grew up going to church. I grew up knowing about the stories in the Bible. Yeah. But then after my freshman year of living a sinful, reckless life and kind of being like the prodigal son, when I, when I said the Bible disciples, I was like, there's nothing out there in the world for me. I need to be 
here follow Jesus. Yeah. And that gratitude, whenever my gratitude is high, my faith is always high. Yeah. And, and I think about how when I was in college, um, I was going to UMass Boston, and UMass Boston is the only state school in the, in the city, and we call it the Harbor of Dorchester. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Harbor, it's not MIT, it's just right there in the middle of the path. And my campus minister, Steve Schnell, he invited me to come to MIT to go and help the Bible talk there, because it was a little smaller, and, and I was excited. I was like, oh, i got to be with all these smart people. Come on now. <laughs> it's good. So I would cross the river all the time, Charles River, and go to MIT, and in the fall of 2014, we share our faith with so many people. And one of those times where we were working hard, we just didn't see anyone become Christians. And then that winter break um, of 2014 into 2015, it snowed like crazy mm-hmm. in Boston. Yeah. And I remember just in the snow, just walking around my neighborhood and just praying to God, I just want to be one person who will be my wedding one day, one person who will become a best friend of mine, one person who will become a disciple and a leader here at MIT. And first week of school, I'm out sharing my faith in snow, and I meet this guy, and he and I talk a little bit, and I text him, my buddy, AP, right after that conversation, I was like, I just met this guy, his name is Josh Maldonado, you've never met him before, but I think he's the guy I've been praying for, and a month later, Josh is getting baptized, Um, it was just so crazy to see his life transform, and he's getting baptized, and I just remember thinking, man, God moves. Yeah. There's a God who shares our dream. Like if if you have gratitude in your heart and you put your faith into practice, you can see God move. Yeah. I think of there's a student we have in our campus ministry, his name is Manny. And Manny he's a track athlete at Northeastern University. He's just an amazing man of God. He uh, he grew up in Worcester, Massachusetts and he goes to Northeastern. But he just helped his brother Toby to become a Christian. And, and he just helped his other track athlete appear to become a Christian. Uh, I think of this other guy, his name is Josh Bradley. He's a kingdom kid in our campus ministry. And Josh is just going out. And Josh, yeah, we're talking about gratitude. He has so much gratitude for God and his family and all that. But he was out sharing his faith. He met this guy, Robert. And Robert was going up to a class, and Robert came to Bible talk that same day. We set up a Bible study with Robert. And that same week, Robert just joined a frat on campus. I was like, you messed up Boston have a frat? Apparently we started that frat that semester. Um, and so he just joined this frat. And so as he was studying the Bible, he came to realize, I, well, I have two paths in my life. I can become a disciple or continue with this frat that probably is not going to help me to become a Christian. And, and as he was studying the Bible, he goes, yeah, we just took an oath three days ago to be men of the light, to, to be men of character. But then we went to get drunk. That's probably not being men of character. We become a disciple. And so he, he, we did the repentance study. He went back to his frat brothers and he was like, I'm sorry, I can't join this frat anymore. And they, they tried to persuade him and he called me. He's like, I'm not joining. I want to become a Christian. He got baptized in March. Um, and the other story I want to share real quick is... Um, this guy, his name is Kim, he's on the basketball team at UMass Boston. He's from Houston, and one of the sisters invited him out, and as we said the Bible with him, he came and told us. He told us, yeah, I have two moms, and they're awesome, but, and so I noted that, and then later on in the study, you kind of go, how do you deal with that? You know, right, like, you know, Boston is, 
It's a pretty progressive city, and so we're, we're kind of concerned. I was going to that Bible study just praying. I want to be sensitive, but I also want to point to the scriptures. How do I manage this? And I told him, this is what we believe as a church. This is what the Bible says. We love all people, but this is what the Bible says. How do you feel about this? Kind of like, how is he going to respond? And he was like, oh, yeah, my, my parents have their own convictions, but I have my own convictions. I believe what the Bible says. I need to get baptized. I just walked out going, oh. There's a God. <laughs> like, God is real. And so, I've seen God move in, yeah. in amazing ways. Yeah. This semester so far, we've seen 14 people get baptized, wow. which has just been incredible. I think the students, um, post-COVID, I think lots of our students just have gratitude to be together. <laughs> and they're going, oh, like, it's a, like the church is amazing. Um, We've seen 42 baptisms so far this wow. year in the campus ministry. Over the last two years, we've seen 100 baptisms. And, and I think post-COVID, there's something special going on in the campuses. And, mm-hmm. and, and just seeing young people fall in love with God. Yeah. And it's just very inspired, you know. And our, our faith, I think, um, in the campus ministry has really been inspired by our gratitude. Um, during COVID, it was just me and Katrina, and, and we're living in, out in the suburbs, and we're like 20 minutes away from the nearest CBS. And it was just like a tough time. I saw all of us. But, <laughs> but coming out of COVID, it was just like, oh man, like people, we can talk and exist and connect. And I think we just have an increased gratitude yeah. for God yeah. and for God's church. And sometimes I'm very, uh, we're, we're singing and we're worshiping God, and I just look around and I just go, man, like these are my people. Like, like God is real, and, and we're in this together. And so it's it's very encouraging just to so to even come here and see wow, there are disciples here that share my convictions, that we're in this together. That you know, I mean, last time was the first time I've been talking to Rob on the phone, but it was the first time we met in person. And just talking to him, and going wow, like he has the same convictions I have. That we're all in this together, and I think it's inspired by my gratitude. So I just want to say thank you guys so much for inviting us. We're so grateful to be here. Thank you guys.